Amen. What a wonderful time of worship and beautifully introduced our theme, our passage for the morning. Oh, look, Sarah bought me a clock. <laughs> Thanks for the hint, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Actually, it's a little slow, so I get some extra time. <laughs> 8.46. Man, we have for a long day. All right. Uh, James was concerned about some folks he refers to in his epistle a number of times as my beloved brothers and we will assume sisters. And he was concerned because they were going through a hard time in life. He introduced his book, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. James was a Jew. He was Jesus' brother, half-brother, if you will. And he was writing primarily to Jews. It was written, many believe it was the first epistle written, the first of the New Testament books written. The church was very young. It was still primarily Jewish. And James' book, James' writing is very Jewish in nature. It's very Hebrew in, in its uh, style and its writing. So as you read it, you have to uh, pretend that you're almost reading Proverbs in some cases, where James doesn't explain things quite as thoroughly as we would like. He's assuming that we're going to think with him and work with him. But James' concern was that many of these Christians are what we might refer to as Columbus Christians. You know, Columbus discovered America, but he never saw the Grand Canyon. He never saw the, 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 the beautiful lakes and mountains. He just touched the edge of it and never experienced what we know and love as this beautiful piece of land that God has allowed us to live on. And many Christians have just touched the edge of the Christian life. They exhibited their faith when they asked Jesus to forgive them for their sins. And for many of them, that was the last time they had exercised their faith. And now they're living pretty much as if there is no God. And James was concerned about that. And so the heart of James, the core of the book of James, his theme is found in chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, which I want to look at this morning to introduce us to a series. The next few weeks, <coughs> pardon me, I want us to spend time in this book of James learning what it means to live by faith. And James wrote there, and it got him in trouble this, uh, with many uh, folks. What James says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if a person claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can that kind of faith save him? Wow. People say, wait a minute, Paul said we're saved by grace through faith, and it's not by works. He made a big point of that. And James says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith, but has no deeds, has no works? Can that faith save him? 
say, well, wow, that sounds like a pretty stark contrast there. Well, it is a contrast because when Paul was talking about faith, he was talking about the role of faith in becoming a Christian. When I want to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, according to Paul's teaching, which we believe and teach, it's not by works. I don't earn that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is very clear on that. By grace you are saved through faith, not by works. Okay? So most of us, all of us, who have come to Christ came by faith. We didn't earn it. It's a gift. James says, okay, way to go, Paul. I agree. Now, I want to talk to those who are Christians who have already accepted this free gift and help us understand that faith doesn't stop at the moment you become a Christian. That moment of accepting Jesus by faith launches us into a whole new life that must be lived by faith. In fact, Habakkuk have a, had a, a debate with God, the prophet Habakkuk, and twice he asked God to do something, and God said, no, I'm going to do exactly the opposite. And Habakkuk said, well, you know, the righteous people, including me, live by faith. Lord, I don't agree with what you just said, but I'm going to live by it, by what you said. I live by faith. Paul, in Romans 1, 17, quoted Habakkuk and said, the righteous people live by faith. And the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 10, 38, said, the righteous people live by faith. And what James said in James 2, 14, what good is it, my brothers, if you claim to have faith, but you don't live by it? Faith isn't just a thought process. It is a way of life, which we will come back and talk to about. So James is essentially saying this life of believing in God has to change your life. How can you claim to have a belief that is so powerful that you believe in a living, loving God, and it doesn't make any difference in your life. And James goes on there. He says, uh, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if a person claims to have faith, but there's no evidence of that faith? Can that kind of faith save him? That empty, vacuous is just a word? So suppose somebody comes into your assembly, and they're naked, and they have no food, and one of you says to them, go away, be warmed and be filled, and slams the door. Is that person warmed? No. Is that person still hungry? Yes. And what James is saying is just as vacuous as saying to a hungry person, be filled. And saying to a cold person, be warmed, just get out of my face. As empty and vacuous and insulting as that is, that's how insulting it is to say, I have faith, but it really doesn't make any difference in my life. Oh, I believe in God. It just, I don't do anything about it. James says, ha, that's inconceivable. It's inconceivable. So instead of just claiming, making this claim to have faith, he says, someone may well say, you have faith, I have deeds. 
Show me your faith without the deeds. I will show you my faith by my deeds. So he's saying, first, a cause-effect argument. Show me your faith without the deeds. Show me your faith that makes no difference in your life. You claim the cause, but you don't have the effects. You say you got the disease, but you don't have the symptoms. Show me your faith without the deeds. Be like me calling you 3 o'clock in the morning. I would call you 3 o'clock tomorrow morning and say, hey, could you come and take me to the hospital? I have pneumonia. You say, oh, wow, man. That's really sad. I mean, you have a cough? No. Runny nose? Uh-uh. Got a temperature? Nope. Do you ache? Uh-uh. Go back to sleep, dummy. You don't have pneumonia. Say, well, don't tell me. How do you know I don't have pneumonia? What would you say to me? If you had the disease, you would have the symptoms. You don't got the symptoms, baby. You don't got the disease. James is saying you claim to have the disease called faith, but you got none of the symptoms. How am I supposed to believe that? Show me. Cause, effect. And I had COVID last week. Okay? And I uh, showed up at work on Tuesday and said, I don't have COVID. And everybody says, Show me, baby. Don't breathe on me. These are my little nifty tests that prove. Okay? Try to get on an airplane. Oh, I have, I don't have COVID. Really? Show me. And James is just saying, anybody can claim to have faith. Now, he's not turning us into each other's fruit inspector. It's not my place to go to Kathy and say, no, I got to show me. Do I have faith? How do I know if this thing is real? How do I know if I've got the real disease? James says it will manifest itself in your life. That's the cause effect. Then there's the effect cause that says, if I see certain things in your life, I will know that you have faith. He said, show me your faith without the deeds. I will show you my faith, not by telling you, but as you observe my life, you'll say there's something different there. There's something going on there. As I look at my life, as I observe my life, I say, you know, there's a dynamic, there's a, there's a stability, there's something about my life, the effect cause. Now, if I show up here next week and I'm talking, how, how are you doing today? I'm, 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 I'm feeling really good. You'd say, Wait, you got a cold. No, I don't have a cold. You may have COVID. No, I don't have COVID. I don't have a cold. I feel wonderful. You say, you get out of my face. You go home and go back to bed. Why, why, what makes you think I'm sick? You got the symptoms. The only explanation for those symptoms is you've got the disease. So James says, you're telling me you've got the disease, but you don't have the symptoms. I've got the disease. I've got the symptoms, but don't tell you I've got the disease. Who are you going to believe? James says, here's who you believe. Okay? If you've got faith, it's going to change your life. Well, how? How? How would faith change my life? Well, James, the whole book of James is centered around this theme. That's why we call it faith in the fire. 
faith in the fire. James says, I'm going to give you five tests, five ways to test your life to see if you're living by faith. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at these five different tests. The first one, chapter one, is faith in the fire of defeat. Count it all joy. This is what we sang this morning, and that the, the man found his, his, his daughters died in the thing, and, he, and how did he respond to that? By faith. Faith in the fire of defeat. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of many kinds. And as he develops this chapter, that word pyrazo, trial, pyrosmos, the noun form, of, 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 of trials, of pressures, of, of things in your life that, that put pressure. And this goes all the way from hearing that you've got a terminal disease. I mean, these cataclysmic, huge things. To the pressure that's put on us when I have that bit of gossip that I'm dying to share. And I know I shouldn't, and I struggle with that. Or by shading the truth just enough and make me look a whole lot better than telling the real truth. And I really want to do that, but I know I shouldn't. So pressures of various kinds, as we're going through life and these different parts of our life sometimes crash in on us. And the challenge to our faith is, is there a God at all? Or as Michael prayed this morning, when people contradict our faith, when people even ridicule our faith, and people want to throw arguments against why anybody would believe in God, and we have that pressure. So, I, man, I don't know. How do you do with that? In chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, Paul says, Count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith will produce endurance. And let endurance have its perfect or its complete result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And what James says is when we respond to pressures by faith, it turns us into a better person. It develops us. It develops our faith. It develops our quality of our life. So these pressures that come into our life, and we respond to them by faith, they develop us. But then 13 through 18, James says, there's another alternative to this, this word that we, I, 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 I use the word not to show you this Greek, but it's the same word, pyrosmos in Verse 2, count it all joy and count of various trials. And then in verse 13, James says, James says, let no one say when he is tempted, and it's the same word. And the difference between a pressure being a temptation and a test is what you do with it. Let no one say when these pressures come, when you hear that horrible news, when you when you're want to do what you know you shouldn't do, Tell the lie, spread the gossip, maintain the ugly thought, and you have a moment of decision. James says, when you respond by your faith system, by what you claim to believe, and that's how James uses the word faith here, it's a system of belief. You believe this is how I should live. I believe God is real, and I believe he has a claim on my life when I'm in church. But when I'm home alone, 
those ugly thoughts come. Where's God then? He says, that's when God needs to be there. Otherwise, you will turn those thoughts, instead of into something that develops you, into something that will destroy you. Sin, when it is accomplished, James said, brings forth a spiritual death. So, how does faith, we're gonna, I'm, I'm, I don't want to preach, I'm going to preach that sermon next week, so I don't want to preach it now, although I'm very tempted. But, uh, so the first, faith in the fire of defeat. What do you do when you find out this horrible news? Do you say, well, there can't be a God? Or do you force into that, face into that, and say, how can I deal with this by faith? As someone who believes there is a God, a God who is powerful, and a God who loves me, and a God who took my four daughters. How do I deal with that? James says, you deal with that, you're going to grow. You're going to grow. Chapter 2, faith in the fire of discrimination. James says in chapter 2, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. And in chapter 2, he gives us seven different ways, seven different ways <laughs> that discrimination, that showing favoritism violates who you claim to be as a Christian. He uses a particular illustration. A wealthy person comes in who can help the church, walks into your synagogue, and you say, oh, sit right here in a good place. And a pauper comes in, you say, oh, just stand over there. He says, you've done a terrible thing. You have violated the rich man, you have violated the poor man, you have violated yourself, you have violated God's royal law, you have violated God's law of liberty, any way you look at it. So what do you do with those people you're just not drawn to? In fact, those people you don't like, you've met them, you first meet them and you don't like them, and then you really get to know them, and you really don't like them, okay? I, you're more pious than me, but I have some of those folks. What do some people do with their own kids who don't measure up? First question a parent asks when their kid is born. Is she normal? The doctor says, yes. The last time in that kid's life she gets away with being normal. <laughs> and it goes on and on. We'll talk next week, uh, two weeks from now about that. Some proverbs, some very powerful proverbs how God is, finds it an abomination, I love that word, an abomination to treat people on an unfair basis. Chapter 3, so, so when you see somebody like that, does faith give you an incurable confidence in God's ability to change anyone? Can you look at any person and say, God can bring about a revolution in your life? Can you look in the mirror? at your own struggles and say, you know, I don't like you very much sometimes. You fail a lot. You're not who I expected you to be. And so in James chapter 3, James talks about faith in the fire of defeat, of inadequacy. 
He uses the tongue as a foil. He says, let not many of you become teachers, my brothers and sisters, knowing that we all fail in many ways. But if we set ourselves up as a teacher, in other words, we set ourselves up as somebody who claims to have this kind of faith, we are held to a higher standard. And, and he talks about control, about the ability to, to manage our life, to, he says, we put bits in the horse's mouths so that we can control them. We put rudders on ships so we can steer them. He says, every manner of bird and beast and reptile and creatures of the, of the sea has been tamed by humans, but no one can control the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You say, well, thanks, James. You mean it's a hopeless case? For you? Yeah. For me? Yeah. But James says, but by faith, by trusting God, by living life as God taught us to live and saying, you know, in spite of how hard it is sometimes to follow what this book teaches, this body of belief called my faith, I live by it anyway. Chapter 4 is faith in the fire of division. What is the source of quarrels and fights among you? Is it not your lust that wage war in your members? You want and can't have. You want what the other person has and can't have, so you hate and you want to commit, you mentally commit murder. Got to get rid of that person. You envy each other. You're jealous of each other. You can't trust that, you know, this person is the person God created, and I've got to be me at my fullest instead of trying to be someone else at their best. Can you trust God for that? Chapter 4. Chapter 5, faith in the fire of discouragement. As we see our world upside down, again, as Michael prayed this morning, some of the stuff that just doesn't make sense. You know, if you've discovered the problem with a rat race is how often the rats win. You say, that's just not right. It shouldn't be that way. No, it shouldn't be, but it is. And, 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 and so James, after really coming down hard on the dishonest, wretched people that he's that he's talking about because of their dishonesty and because of their hoarding. Then he comes back and says, be patient, my brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. And he talks about patience, and he talks about prayer. Trusting God when life seems upside down and it's discouraging, and, and, and it just doesn't seem like God is in control of his world anymore. To say God is always in control of his world. So, what is this thing called faith anyway? James says, you can't just claim it. It's, if, if it's real, it will make a difference in your life. If you honestly have faith in God, it will make a difference in your life. It'll make a difference in how you deal with pressure, how you deal with people who aggravate, people you have no time for. It'll help you with your own inadequacies, your own inability to grow and flourish and be the kind of person you want to be. It'll help you when people offend you and you want to fight with them and you want to get back at them and you want to... It'll help you when you're just so discouraged, when it seems like nothing is going right, when the rats are winning the rat race and you're not, and you're the good guy and they're the bad guy. James says, now these are just case studies. 
He's not just saying it's these, only these. He's using these as illustrations of how faith impacts strongly, powerfully every part of our life. But what is faith? Well, the writer of Hebrews, just go back a couple of pages. Hebrews says, faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen. Where is that? Hebrews 11. It's right between 10 and 12 last time. Yeah, there it is. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> Don't any dry sermons here. So. Faith is the is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This, this faith is what the ancients were committed, commend, com, com, commended for. Faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's the certainty of what we do not see. Being sure of what we hope for, being certain of what... By faith we understand that the universe was formed as God, by, at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. That's a tough thing to get your head around. God just spoke it into existence, that what the, the, the stuff we see was made out of stuff that we couldn't see. It's a pretty staggering truth. By faith, we believe that. That's what faith does. Faith begins where sight ends. Now, I don't have to have faith to believe that I have a watch. I can see it. You say, do you take that by faith? No, I don't need to take that by faith. I can see it. Now, when I look at what time it is, that I have a little bit of faith. Okay, it's a good watch, but, you know, when I come to an intersection. I look there and I see the light is green. You say, do you take that by faith? No, <laughs> I can see it. However, believing that these other two are red, yeah, it takes a little faith. But I've been through a lot of traffic signals. And so I can pretty well depend on that. But I can't see them. But then bigger are the Looney Tunes that are driving on that road. After years of riding a motorcycle and a bicycle and going through these traffic lights, I'm careful. Yeah, she was, yes, thank you. Anyway, I, uh, I, I still, when I come, I have faith, but I have to tell you, if there are no cars actually stopped there blocking, I look. Because I don't have quite as much faith in drivers because I happen to be one. <laughs> as I do in the traffic light, because of my history with the traffic light and my history with drivers. So there's some sense of the way I put faith in something is related to my history with that something, to what I know about that something. So faith is believing what I can't see, believing what I can't prove, believing it anyway because I believe in God. But how solid is God? Can I put faith in God? Well, let me give you a, a, a helpful practice that uh, once in a while, go back and read Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah said, in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, lofty and exalted. 
and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two they covered their feet. With one they called out, with one they, with the other wings they flew. In God's presence, the even highest order of angels shielded themselves from the glory of this one who was on the throne. And one of them called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then Isaiah said, the foundations of the temple vibrated at the voice. Not of the one on the throne. The voice of those who were praising the one on the throne. When I read Isaiah 6, I say, this is a God who is able to be trusted. He's the creator and sustainer of the universe. So I have faith in a God who is powerful enough to do anything he wants. From there, I go to John 13, where this same God has a towel around his waist, and he's on his knees washing his disciples' feet. Because as John tells us there in John 13, 1, because he loved them. Having loved his own, he loved them completely. And then I flip six chapters over in the Gospel of John, and I see this same Jesus dying on a cross because of my need to be forgiven. That's the God I trust. The God who is seated on a throne, whose praise is so loud that the foundations of heaven are vibrating at the voice of those who are praising him. He is able. Then I see him on his knees washing the feet of his followers. Even Judas, who would soon betray him, and dying on a cross because he loves us that much. Yes, he's able and he's also willing. That's the God we have our faith in. We have to cultivate that faith by knowing our God better, by spending time in his word, by spending time in prayer. Maybe in keeping a prayer journal. Faith is believing that the God who can do anything he wants will only do what is best for us, even if we don't like it, even if it hurts. He has a higher, bigger plan. Faith is not just believing that God will do what I ask him to do or tell him to do when I pray. Faith is believing that when God doesn't do what I ask, in fact, when God does the opposite of what I ask, he is still God, and he still loves me, and I still believe in him. What good is it to say you have faith, but to say there's absolutely no evidence, whatever. I have the most powerful disease that has ever entered the human mind, the disease of faith but I have no symptoms, and it doesn't bother me. I sing the hymns on Sunday, and the next time I think about God, 
is next Sunday when I sing the hymns again. James has said that doesn't work. Faith in the fire.